Welcome to the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, featuring stellar conversations with emerging and established Wickedly Smart Women. Thanks for joining us today as we celebrate women who are committed, care deeply, and have the courage to take action and create conscious change all around the world. Now here's your Wickedly Smart host, Angel B. Hartwell. Welcome to another episode of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, where we celebrate wickedly smart women and provide our listeners with a wealth of wisdom, along with immediately actionable steps to be smarter, spunkier, and more successful in their impact and their leadership. This is your host, Angel B. Hartwell, and today we welcome our special guest, Victoria Wick. Victoria is a world-renowned jewelry designer who immigrated to America with only $30 and turned her passion for jewelry into a $500 million business. She is the author of the upcoming book, Million Dollar Hobbies, which helps you take your business ideas and passions and turn them into profit. Napkin ideas are no longer tucked away in drawers, and women around the globe are turning their hobbies into million-dollar businesses. Victoria has been on TV for the past 23 years, sharing her beautiful designs with millions of women. You may have seen Victoria on Shop HQ or the Home Shopping Network. Let's get started. Welcome to the show, Victoria. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here and to share your wisdom as well as my experiences. Yeah, well, we had the opportunity to meet one another virtually through the New Media Summit, which had to go virtual this year because of coronavirus. And you were definitely, as I said, in the green room, one of the top two people that I had the gold star next to in my book when it came to choosing people to come onto the show, to be invited onto the show. And I just am so delighted that you were able to make the time in what is, I'm sure, your busy schedule to have this interview with me. And so I want to talk a little bit, Victoria, about your backstory, because I think that it's such a powerful backstory, you know, especially now when we're in Corona, there's kind of two things going on. A lot of people are getting the opportunity to stop and slow down and really look at what's meaningful in their lives, number one. But number two, a lot of industries are collapsing all of a sudden or will be collapsing soon because of the after effects of this. And so money is definitely on people's minds. And anybody who can start with $30 and turn it into 500 million is definitely somebody I want my listeners to listen to. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey to getting here and then going from 30 to 500 million? Wow, that's a lot to um, kind of uh, peel here. Big question. So my backstory is that uh, I come from a family of four girls and one boy and from South Korea. At the time I was growing up, girls were, you know, um, not really desired. A lot of uh, Asian cultures, they prize boys. And also culturally, uh, women were expected to, you know, look for the right husband. And, you know, if you went to college at all, you were discouraged to go to college. But if you went to college at all, you majored in things like home economics or piano or art. You know, my father really was worried about having the four girls not ever reach their dreams. He told me about a place called America. 
you know, since I was born. And we lived, you know, like right near the beach. Uh, in fact, we had a view of the horizon, you know, every day. And every day I'd wonder, like, what's beyond there? And my whole worldview was shaped with books and things that I that I read about America. So when we first got to America, eventually, it was like 10 years of, you know, waiting and waiting and waiting. When we finally got here, uh, my father found out that all his assets and everything was frozen, both in South Korea as well as here. So that's how we ended up with 30 bucks, which was surprising. Um, you know, it was a complete shock to us. And so I went from having a lot, I mean, we weren't really rich or anything, but I had everything there, to coming here, looking for the dream, and then realizing we had nothing. So the very next day, very next day, literally, my father started going to work at the gas station, he, you know, swept floors and all that, that he wasn't used to. And um, I raised my siblings, because I was the oldest. So uh, I dropped my youngest you know, sibling, my brother, at the daycare, you know, taking three buses, I dropped them off and I picked them up after school. So I could say from that point, you know, I felt like the the dream was dead, that it was just a myth. But there was a part of me that never, that couldn't give up the hope. You know, I had to keep that hope alive. And I worked, you know, really hard to to achieve that. And I think that when you have nothing and you um, your choices are to move forward or backward, it's because it's it was that simple, you know. I didn't have anything else. I you know continued to move forward. I mean, even if it's like tiny little steps, like learning to speak English and all that. So, you know, eventually, um, you know, I did go ahead and get my degrees from UCLA, USC, you know, MBA, all that stuff. Then after I, I did all that, all that, when I wanted to start a family, I thought, oh my god, like all I want to do is stay at home and be a mom, right? So basically. I had to then figure out how to, um, and, and by the way, you know, my parents kept telling me, you got to have a, a backup plan, fallback plan, because they knew that I was a really creative person. And so they it kind of really highly encouraged me to go to all the proper schools, you know, and I majored in economics and business administration, all the things I do, don't do anything with now. So, you know, I was kind of suffocating. And uh, at that point, looking back at my background, I I said to myself, you know what, if I could survive the years that I went through the first few years, I could survive anything. And I was willing to slow down and live on less money and all that to carve out a future that I could sustain myself because I couldn't figure out how I could work 14 to 16 hours a day, an hour commute each way and still have a family life. Mm -hmm. So... That was sort of like how I ended up kind of taking the leap of faith. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I want to just pause right there and and really underscore a few things that I I heard there. First of all, enormous tenacity and clarity in the choices, right? Right. You're either moving backwards or you're moving forwards. And so you know, congratulations for making the choice to go in the forward direction. Because <laughs> there are people who don't. There are I know, there are quite a few, don't. actually. There are a lot of people who don't. The other thing that I really heard there was, as the child that you were, you stood there looking and wondering what's beyond the horizon. And there feels like there's something very magical in that, in that phrase, what's beyond the horizon. Right. And the third thing that I'm hearing here 
which I think is really important to underscore, especially for any of you who are out there who are thinking about leaving the corner office or, yeah. you know, starting your side gig or have already started your side gig. And, and sometimes what happens is we start in this big burst of vision, right? This big burst of vision. It's like a chicken cracking out of the egg, right? right. And then it becomes that small baby steps and slowing down to really be mindful about creating the life that you actually want. So those were the things that I heard there. I want to talk a little bit about what inspired you to make jewelry. I made jewelry once upon a time. In fact, this is one of my pieces. I see that. You're very creative. <laughs> I love those earrings that you yeah, have on too. Thank you. Yeah. They're very expressive. Yeah. Thank you. So what inspired you when you were in that place where you started making jewelry? You know, first I'm hearing that you had to reframe your life in some ways so that you weren't working 14 hour days and having an hour commute each way. What was the turning point for you? What was, what were the decisions that you made that brought you to a place of making the decision to start making jewelry and selling it? So when I got out of college, I, and then and got to graduate school, you know, I had like the greatest resumes of all time. You know, I had a double major, I had great grades, amazing universities. Um, and I interviewed really well, but all the jobs I wanted back then, you know, if I have a finance degree with an MBA, uh, you can go to Wall Street but Wall Street was in New York and I could not leave my family. You know, my parents were still struggling with immigrant life. They were learning to speak English and all that. So I wanted to stay home and I ended up taking a job in a jewelry company, small jewelry company temporarily, because that wasn't what I was studying for, but you know, I needed to pay my bills. And the other thing is I thought, you know what, my, uh, I have to think about, okay, well, my parents came here so I could live free. I could live uh, doing what I wanted to do. And then here I was in corporate America, you know, I was looking at all these jobs that I, I was wondering, like, and I, can I really survive in, in a Wall Street type of environment? So I went to look, work for this company and um, that company was at its infancy and also owned by a couple of immigrants. And um, I watched it grow. I helped it grow, um, not by myself, you know, a lot of other employees too, but I, I played a key role in that. The company, you know, uh, eventually ended up doing like $450 million. And I thought, you know, one day I was stuck in, in traffic and I thought to myself, I could do this. You know, I could do this. Uh, if he can make it, I could do it. And I helped it. I just helped him go from $150 million to $450 million in, in a very short amount of time. And also I had to think about, you know, my father's original vision, which was to for me to live the life I wanted to live. And having gone through what I went through, money was the last thing on my mind. I just wanted to be able to pay my bills, be at home, uh, present for my family, and have a little bit of money left over. That was my whole goal. And I thought, if that's my whole framework and that is my American dream, truly I could say that to myself. I mean, this isn't brain surgery. I could do this. And the other thing I thought for you know all of you who are listening right now and you're thinking, do I, can I really afford to quit my job and start something as a side hustle or, or a whole new thing? You know, you can always go get a job. I mean, I know you may not get that exact job, but you can always go get a job. So I thought, you know what, I need to, uh, I owe it to myself to, to really have the courage to prove myself that, you know, I could do this. And also, um, I was told by so many people, you know, my professors, 
uh, they they loved me and they cared for me and they said this with every you know good intentions. You know, I don't want to see you fail. Small businesses fail. You know, you have a great career. You know, stick with it. But I just, in my heart, I had to kind of follow my dreams and my heart, and I I took a chance. And I designed jewelry because in my family, I have hundreds of years. My family goes back to year 1300 or so. And I have all this jewelry. And that's how they told stories about, you know, when your great grandmother got married, she got this jade piece or whatever. And I thought, you know what, working at the jewelry company, I've said I'm a very spiritual person. And I know I can see that you are too. And I thought there was a reason why of all the companies out there, I ended up in this jewelry company. And this was almost like a divine intervention because I found out my true talent. I found out that I could draw really well. And I found out all my jewelry designs actually sell. So I did it. It was, and then the rest is history. Beautiful. Well, there's a few pieces in there that I just really want to also highlight. And one is that your father had a vision for you and held that vision for you and you lived into that vision which is a beautiful thing and it's important to also remember that you had to create your own vision for yourself right you actually had his vision was for you to be free then you had to actually create the vision for yourself of well what does freedom look like for me right yeah right and so sometimes we don't know what that looks like for us my dad's vision for me was that i would be happy he just wanted me to be happy he said you know whatever you do in your life make sure that you're happy and he was miserably unhappy in what he was doing but you know kind of trapped in that play he was trapped he was trapped uh self-trapped in many many ways but trapped in any case and so so then the our work if we decide to fulfill the dreams of our ancestors, right. our work is actually to discover what our own dream is, is what I'm I'm hearing from you, Victoria. Yeah, definitely. And then live into that. And then the other thing that I heard there that I, I just really also wanna underscore is you kept your dream alive, even though there may be times, there may have been times along the way where you took a, dro- a job. And what ended up happening with you was you took a job that was a divine intervention that actually was the job that put you on the path to being who you are today. So a lot of times people can get kind of cranky if they, if they have left, if they've left their, you know, if they've left their old life behind and they're trying to start their new life and they're wanting to work into this dream, but then they run up against financial constraints and the idea of having to take a job can really make them cranky. So what I want everyone to hear is get over your crankiness because sometimes <laughs> that's divine intervention. And we are going to take a short break. And when we come back, I'm going to let you know where to find out more about Victoria and what she's got going on next. But right now, Wickedly Smart Women, we could use some help. If you are enjoying the show and want us to stay on the air, please consider making a donation at www.wickedlysmartwomen.com. And we'd also love to ask you to share the show with your lovely lady friends. We are celebrating that the show was a People's Choice award-winning podcast this year in September of 2020 on International Podcast Day at the 15th Annual Podcast Awards. And so we thank you, our listeners, 
for making us the people's choice. And we hope to continue to serve you and support you in your growth and expansion as well. I do want to thank all of our listeners who are downloading, rating, and reviewing. We are welcoming thousands of downloads from all over the world. And let's see if South Korea is on the list. I think it might be. Let's see if South, and if it's not, we'll, we'll just shout out to South Korea anyway and invite you to come on to the list yeah. <laughs> because that's where Victoria is from. I think the closest place we have to South Korea on the list right now is Hong Kong, Taiwan, the Philippines, Japan, and Indonesia. It's all kind of in the same neck of the woods of uh, the other side of the yeah, Pacific. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, actually, I'm surprised because South Korea actually is one of the most prolific um, you know, listeners women, of podcasts. Women, yeah. And also women-owned businesses. Sure. Well, I'm going to have to check to see if I have an updated list for yeah. our, our countries. And we are going to be right back with Victoria Wick. The Wickedly Smart Women podcast is brought to you by the Wealthy Life Mentor. Women, are you on the edge knowing that life is calling you to make a change? Are you ready to be part of the evolution of what it means to be a wickedly smart woman creating your wealthy life by design, a life that is an extraordinary work of art? Angel B. Hartwell, the Wealthy Life Mentor, is hired by Women in Transition, Women just like you who want to break through to their brilliance, become clear on the value of their wisdom, and embody a beauty-filled, balanced life of shameless self-expression. Discover your wealthy life readiness by taking the quiz at quiz.wealthylifementor.com. And we are back with Victoria Wick. You can find out more about Victoria at milliondollarhobbies.com. As I mentioned in the intro, she has an upcoming book, Million Dollar Hobbies. So I'm guessing that you can find out more information about accessing that book when it's going to be launching and all of the rest there at her milliondollarhobbies.com. We will have that for you in the show notes. Uh, and certainly you could probably shop for her jewelry, I'm sure, uh, on Home Shopping Network and other fun places where she has her beautiful designs. So let's dive in, Victoria, to what happened for you when the jewelry started taking off? Because this is another thing that I see sometimes can happen for wickedly smart women who are, you know, investing in their dream. And, uh, you know, we talked before the break about having to sometimes take a step back and slow down and go in baby steps. But then there are moments when things just really blow up and that can blow a person's life up too. So can you tell us about the trajectory for you getting to a $500 million business? Yeah, so actually, that's really interesting. Um, I think my story is sort of very different. First off, when I started my jewelry company, I knew jewelry at that time was really kind of dominated by a few big players in the business. So small company like mine, you know, just didn't have a whole lot of place. But what was happening in the marketplace at that time was, and remember, you got to go back to like 1989 now. The jewelry was either daytime jewelry or nighttime jewelry. So you have very fancy diamonds. You know, fine jewelry was really considered uh, evening cocktail, social party type thing. You didn't wear them to work other than just your wedding ring. A lot of women were starting to go to work professionally and they needed to dress. Uh, they needed to look at their polished, you know, taking care of themselves and all of the things that goes with dressing, you know, for 
for work. Uh, there wasn't really, there was just costume jewelry, a lot of costume jewelry. There wasn't a lot of fine jewelry. So I thought to myself, costume jewelry is very disposable. You know, they tarnish, they do all those things. And you can't really pass them on from generation to generation. So even if there were only like 20 bucks or 50 bucks, to me, that was like a waste of money. So I felt that there was a void in the marketplace for affordable jewelry that they could wear during work time. So that doesn't look over the top, too sparkly, you know, too ostentatious. Just something to let people know that you take care of yourself. You're successful. You have great taste. All the things that you won't be out talking about yourself out there about the jewelry actually makes that impression. So I carved out a very small niche uh, at that time. Uh, and I advertised it in that such, you know, this will make you look polished and make you, you know, look like you're you know successful and all that. So the company kind of got started, you know, I only wanted to make like 35 grand a year or something to help, you know, family finances. And within the first 18 months, I did over a million bucks. So, you know, I grew like so fast. And then every year uh, I just kept on, you know, the one thing that I have is I have a pulse on my customers. You know, I'm very intuitive that way. And I listen and I was smaller and nimble, more nimble. And I kind of owned this whole market by myself at that time. So I kept growing and growing and growing. And at some point after my second child was born, I realized I was so busy. I was so busy. You know, my mother helped me with my kids. Um, I had a household, you know, I had a household crew, all that there, but I still didn't feel like I was spending the time with my kids. And I thought to myself, you know what? Um, I started my company so I could spend more time at home with the kids. And here I was being a slave to my calendar. So, you know, I at that point, I said, okay, well, you know what? This isn't where I wanted to be. So I actually went and wrote a letter to all my customers, letting them know, you know, I'm beginning to slow down my business. I want to, you know, I, I just wanted to work with just a couple of customers and the rest of them I did, I wanted to walk away from. Well, lo and behold, whenever I sent those letters, my customers are like, no, 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 you know, your stuff sells so well, we really need you, you can't, you can't retire, you can't, you know, you, you can't, you can't. And I'm like, well, I really can watch me like vendors can go out of business, manufacturers can choose to go out of business. I'm, trust me, I can, you know, I, I'm thinking that they think that I can't because I can't afford to or whatever. But, you know, I just told them I can't. And so as soon as I said that, my customers actually stepped up, you know, HSN actually being one of them, they said, we'd rather have a little bit of you than none. So they actually like made my schedule. So I'm only having to go there once a month. They also helped me with production. So I'm not on the phone, you know, eight, with Asia, like eight days a week. I mean, I was up all hours of the night. Um, so they actually took over some of my production, you know, things that they also kind of got rid of financial risks. You know, they made the terms a lot better. So by just by letting people know I need to prioritize, prioritize on my family, they made all the conditions so much easier. So all I had to do was really sketch and have a vision and just really connect with my customers on TV. So my business literally doubled at that time. Mm -hmm. And which was already, I mean, multi, multi million dollar business at that time. So then I was, you know, I had a little bit of a lull, like in terms of schedule, I was able to sit back, you know, I only traveled once a month, uh, other than, uh, you know, international travel to, I did have to kind of supervise Jamso and sourcing and so forth. But then the business got to be so big. Um, I was doing so much sketches. At some point I had stacks of sketches. And then, you know, in 2004, I said, you know what? My father had passed away by that point. And I said to myself, I'm not going to put that. What, he, what happened to my father happened to me, which was he worked until the day he died. 
So I basically told everyone, I'm going to retire for good this time, seriously. And at that point, they're like, no, 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 you can't do that either. So in 2004, I actually moved to San Diego from LA, moved, you know, just one assistant with me. And I literally, you know, shut down my warehouse, my office, everything. I was ready to just retire and play golf, you know, just help my kids. And they made it even more uh, appetizing for me. So, you know, each time I was like, "Mm," you know, they literally took took everything away from my plate except sketching and going on TV. And even then, you know, they gave me more prime time, all that. So my business at that point, like quadrupled. Mm. Um, So every time I try to like take a break, um, (laughs) it just kind (laughs) of happened. So that's my story. That's how it's like they allowed me to do only the things that I really wanted to do, which was paint, sketch and connect with my customers and find out what they want all the other nice things, you know, all our jobs, we have what we, what I, when I was in corporate world, I did about 10% of the things that I love to do. And 90% of it was like literally stuff that I could stomach or I, I hate, or I don't like, it's one mm-hmm. of those three things. So when they just allowed me to do what I excel at, uh, my business just kind of took off on its own. It just had a life of its own. Yeah. Well, beautiful, Victoria. We are close to the end here, but I want to just again underscore some of the things that were really powerful that you brought to the table in this last little piece. And that is that you have remained really grounded in what you value and you have made all of your choices all along the way from how is this serving Victoria, like you're the golden goose here, right? Right. Exactly. How is this serving Victoria? And you have been ruthless at saying, no, I'm no. done. You have been just ruthless with, you know, setting the boundaries. And, you know, a part of my body of work is helping people create a wealthy life by design. And, and that setting of boundaries and exercising the no muscle and saying, no, that's not what I'm going to do. And making those clear decisions about what's important to you and elevating what's important to you to the highest level of priority is one of the keys to having a wealthy life by design. And you absolutely exemplify that. The other thing that I, I heard there too is I really love that you were so intentional in creating jewelry that could be passed on and that you tied in that kind of ancestral lineage piece of valuing beauty and valuing quality and valuing the stories behind the jewelry. And so I I could actually talk to you all day long, Victoria. Unfortunately, (laughs) we are at the end of the show. So I do want to thank you for being with us. I want to remind everyone you can go to find out more about Victoria's new book, Million Dollar Hobbies at milliondollarhobbies.com. And please, listeners, we do love feedback. Please let us know what you thought of today's episode by calling into our listener line. We'll have that for you in the show notes, or you can send in questions or guest suggestions to listeners at wickedlysmartwomen.com. We might even give you a shout out on the show. Thanks for tuning in. Keep your ears open. And remember, you are a wonderful woman. Thanks for tuning in, downloading, and listening. Be sure to rate and review Wickedly Smart Women on Apple Podcasts and share with other women who can benefit from today's episode. 
Wickedly Smart Women is the premier podcast series for informing, activating, and inspiring the leader who carries profound wisdom and knows that now is the time to welcome wealth. We welcome your feedback and guest suggestions and invite you to subscribe to our mailing list to be notified of each new episode at wickedlysmartwomen.com.